Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Baylog. I'm the Chief Information Officer for A Thousand Moms. Welcome to this encore edition of A Thousand Moms Talk. In it, we discuss the remarkable side of John F. Kennedy, part two, our interview with author David Pitts. JFK remains respected as a competent, intelligent, likable president across the world. On this anniversary of his assassination, we find out why. Listen to author David Pitts in our interview. Mr. Pitts has written a remarkable book, JFK and Lem, The Untold Story of a Remarkable Friendship. JFK's relationship with his gay best friend, Lem Billings. So enjoy the show, enjoy the podcast, and please show your support for A Thousand Moms. We need so much your support to continue these podcasts, to continue our book series on healing the brain, and you can find all this information at www.athousandmoms.org. That's www.athousandmoms.org. Thank you for listening, and have a great holiday weekend. If only we were born knowing how to plan for life's big expenses. Brought to you by TIAA. What happens if you want to buy a house? That can be a big chunk of change. Good thing we're thinking about it now. Start planning today at TIAA.org. Through illness, across social lines, and against mores of the time, John F. Kennedy and Kirk Lemoyne Lem Billings forged a deep friendship, largely hidden from view and from history. The future and eventual president's friendship with a gay man is documented by David Pitts, author of Jack and Lem, The Untold Story of an Extraordinary Friendship. In part two with the author, we will look at this important story from Camelot to Dallas and beyond. Today, a special edition of A Thousand Moms Talk for February 26, 2011. Welcome back to A Thousand Moms Talk for February 26, 2011. I am Dave Baylog. I am the Information Officer for A Thousand Moms, building community support for LGBTQ youth in foster adoptive care. Please pull up a chair, settle in, and listen to some lively news and views. Then thank you for tuning in, either live or on demand. Today we're joined, uh, as per usual, by Dr. Ray Working, who is in East Greenbush, New York, the town, the wicked little town. That's what it is. Hi, Ray. How you doing, okay. Dave? <laughs> I'm okay. Thanks, Ray. Tune in to Dr. Ray on WRPI's Homo Radio at 91.5 in the Troy, Albany, Schenectady area from 10 to 2 on Sundays. Listen live, online, anywhere, via the Internet at WRPI.org. For this special edition of A Thousand Moms Talk, Ray and I will speak with David Pitts, 
In part two of our interview, um, David is the author of Jack and Lem, The Untold Story of an Extraordinary Friendship. In the second half of our show, we'll open up a discussion on the positive qualities President Kennedy exhibited, and we will ask if there are any current role models who can provide these qualities for LGBTQ youth in care. And uh, as a special (laughs) part of the show, we are going to air an exclusive um, phone conversation, courtesy of David Pitts, um, between uh, an exclusive White House phone conversation between uh, uh, Lem Billings and and President Kennedy. So stay tuned for that. Uh, It'll be upcoming in a few minutes. And now to our guest. David Pitts is an internationally recognized journalist whose work has appeared in the Washington Post, the Philadelphia Inquirer, and the Christian Science Monitor. His writings on the Kennedy family have been disseminated around the world. He joins us from Washington, D.C. Welcome, David, and thank you for joining us. Hi, Dave. Good to be with you. Thanks. Yeah. Well, for those just joining us in this story, I want to share some words from a researcher and a former colleague of mine uh, from quite a few years ago, but nevertheless, uh, we've gotten back in touch, uh, Paula Martinak, and uh, she wrote this on her blog. Paula is uh, quite a... uh, uh, a researcher on LGBT history, and she wrote on her blog, they became best friends as teenagers, bonding over shared humor and dislike of their strict prep school. Lem was a closeted gay man, devoted to and in love with his best friend, Jack. When Lem propositioned Jack, the latter's response was, I'm not that kind of boy. Jack grew up to be John F. Kennedy, our 35th president, and Lem was his lifelong pal, Kirk Lemoyne Billings. Jack didn't discard his friend when he learned he was gay. Rather, he invited him on family vacations, sought his advice on matters of state, and even gave him his own room in the White House. So, David, um, having covered what we did last year up to uh, basically Jackie, uh, Jack meets uh, Jackie Kennedy, um, let's continue our dialogue. Um, the congressional years, uh, Jack's years in the Senate, and Lem. His, par- his partner, his partner, his pal, his best friend, um, and friendship really doesn't uh, seem to capture this. Uh, Lem helps him in, in politics, but not very successfully. Uh, can you talk about that? Yeah, sure. Uh, Lem's uh, primary interest in life was the arts. He wasn't really that interested in politics, but of course, he kind of had to be because that's what JFK was all about. And JFK wanted Lem much to the chagrin of some of his other advisors, to be involved in all his political campaigns. And uh, Lem was uh, when JFK ran for Congress in 1946, and then when he ran for the Senate successfully against Henry Cabot Lodge in 1952. Lem was there because JFK wanted him there. Wow. That's that's pretty amazing. And he didn't have a great track record in in, the uh, the races that, or the, air, the the districts, I think that he uh, he was in, in charge of. Uh, is, is that correct? Uh, that's correct. Yeah. When you know, in the first campaign, for example, uh, when they when JFK was running for Congress from the 11th district, uh, which is basically a part of Boston and, and Cambridge, um, he had to tell them, whatever you do when you run around introducing yourself to people, don't tell them that we. We went to Choate, and uh, don't tell them that went went to Princeton and you know later Harvard because this is a working class district, 
and people are not going to relate to that. So you really have to give Lem some lessons in uh, campaigning of what to say and what not to say. And the real uh, way in which Lem got involved was the famous Kennedy Tea Parties that were held uh, by the yeah. uh, uh, Jack sisters. That's where Lem felt really at home and, and played a pivotal role. Okay. Uh, now to another topic that uh, I find uh, another uh, little vignette that I, I find interesting and just goes to the, the depth of their friendship. Uh, marriage to Jackie. Um, Lem had a pre-marriage talk with Jackie uh, about his best friend, uh, uh, David, can you tell us about this talk and Jackie's reaction? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, Lem had seen many women come and go in JFK's life from the earliest days, from when they were at school. But uh, when JFK met Jackie in 1951, um, Lem kind of realized that this was a more uh, serious affair that uh, JFK was having. So he took it upon himself, without consulting anybody, to go to Jackie and tell her what she was uh, getting herself in for. You know, he basically told her that uh, JFK was a ladies' man, that he's likely not going to be monogamous even if she married him. And he basically, uh, uh, you know, laid down the law as far as that's concerned. And far from resenting it, uh, Jackie seemed to appreciate it and seemed to be even more attracted to JFK as a result. Wow. Um, okay, now, uh, Ray, I want to I uh, bring you in here. Uh, we're at... The famous election of uh, 1960, the Razor Thin, um, uh, Kennedy, John F. Kennedy versus Richard Nixon. Um, what do you want to know about this, uh, Ray? Um, I know we played uh, Frank Sinatra on your song last year, and 30 years later he was uh, a Reaganite. Um, what, what are your memories of that election, Ray? And, well, David, I was in seventh grade, that? and our assignment was to... Uh, to watch the debates and put together notes on them, and we had discussions. And Jack Kennedy looked like he literally walked off West Palm Beach, and Nixon smashed his knee into the car and looked like he was going <laughs> to keel over at any moment. Um, uh, Jack's prep for these debates, that's what I'd be interested in, the behind the scenes. Well, yes, indeed. Oh, yeah. You know, those debates, by the way, there were four of them in, in total in 1960. These were the first ever uh, televised uh, debates between presidential candidates. There, there had been televised debates uh, of lesser figures, but these were the first presidential ones. And so it's hard to, you know, imagine now how important these events were back in, uh, back in 1960. They got huge ratings, and they changed the nature of the campaign after the, after the debates. Certainly people who watched them on television uh, started moving towards uh, JFK. It was a little bit different with the radio audience. And in terms of the prep for the debate, Slim really wasn't involved uh, with that. It was more the, you know, the traditional JFK advisors uh, at, like, at the time, Adlai Stevenson, Ted Sorensen, uh, and so on, um, that did the, the prep with JFK on, on the issues that, uh, that came up there. Yeah, um, and 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 now the famous election night, which goes on into the night, and and uh, uh, electorally it wasn't close, but the popular vote I think was about the closest in history. Um, and where was Lem on, on election night, um, David? And how did how did he uh, celebrate the election of his best friend to the White House? Well, Len was in Hyannisport uh, with the rest of the Kennedy family at the Kennedy compound where they were 
uh, watching the uh, election results on on television. And as you said, Dave, it was the uh, closest uh, uh, margin, I think, in American history to that point, less than 1% of the popular vote. The result wasn't known until uh, close to noon uh, the next day. And Lem was up all night, uh, you know, running around, worrying that uh, Nixon was going to pull it off. JFK, however, uh, went to sleep and didn't wake up until the next day when Caroline woke him up and said, good morning, Mr. President. That's touching. So so, uh, we're we're in the – JFK is in the White House. I wish I was there, but – and um, immediately he's hit by crises, the Bay of Pigs, Laos. Uh, it just seemed there were so many crises. And, and um, right by his side is Lem, and to all of this, uh, giving advice. And um, as a matter of fact, uh, David, you informed me this week that uh, Lem Billings was offered the chance to be the first director of the Peace Corps. Um, why did he turn it down? Uh, he turned it down for the reason that uh, he didn't really want to be Jack's uh, employee. Uh, he wanted to be what he always had been, uh, Jack's uh, closest uh, friend. And I think there may also have been some other considerations in Lem's mind. Uh, first of all, he knew uh, that his political acumen wasn't that great, so he didn't want to disappoint JFK uh, in that sense. And there may have been a third reason, which is the FBI checks that uh, – all cabinet nominees have to go through it, well, and non-cabinet nominees in this in this case. And uh, you know, the FBI was keeping a file on on uh, on Lem, and uh, he may not have wanted to go through that kind of scrutiny. I see. And and now, uh, David and Ray, I want to play uh, a tape uh, of a of a phone conversation between Jack and Lem. It's 1962, and Pivotal year, I, I mean, so much happening. The, the um, uh, Berlin Wall, uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, uh, the um, civil rights uh, issues in the South. And um, David, you, can you give us a little background about this White House tape uh, of a phone conversation be, between Jack and, and Lem? And then I want to play it for our listeners. Yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, I'm, uh, many people don't know that Nixon wasn't the first person to uh, to use a taping system. Actually, FDR was the first. He had a primitive one. And JFK had a more elaborate one, uh, mostly for political calls. But on one particular day in 1962, he must switch the, uh, the tape on by accident. And he recorded a very short phone call between him and his best friend, uh, Lem. And if you, when you hear the tape, if, you, if JFK sounds a little bit distracted, it's because on this particular day in September of 1962, he was dealing with uh, a big civil rights crisis of the moment, the admission of James, African-American James Meredith into the University of Mississippi. Okay, so I'm going to play it. Then when we come back, Ray, I, w- I want to get your comments, uh, your thoughts on this. So here is a from the White House in, in – um, Late 1962, uh, I believe September, David, 1962? Yes, I believe it was September. Uh huh. Yeah. And here is a rare uh, phone conversation taped between President Kennedy and his best friend, uh, Lemoyne Billings. Ms. Lincoln, 
Mr. Lamb Billings. Some of the other 
JFK advisors are on that balcony uh, looking on. And uh, later said that JFK was so proud of that speech he gave in Berlin that he bored everybody to death by uh, playing the tape over and over again. (laughs) Wow. Well, unfortunately, we we have to move along in the story here, and and it brings us to Dallas. And and, uh, um, I like to use someone else's words, uh, they that shocked the world and and shattered a generation. Um, First of all, uh, David, um, uh, you have a a differing opinion of why, uh, against conventional wisdom, why uh, JFK was in the South. Uh, it wasn't uh, to patch up a party quarrel in Texas. Um, can you tell us a little more about that? Well, I think it was partly that. I think Ray alluded to that uh, last week. Uh, you know, there was a dispute going on within the Texas Democratic Party between uh, Governor Connolly, who was a conservative and who was also shot uh, in Dallas, and uh, Senator Ralph Yarber, uh, who was a uh, liberal. So part of it was to patch up that. But, of course, the, the wider picture here was the civil rights issue because JFK had won numerous southern states in 1960, but because of the civil rights crises that had been occurring during his administration, it looked like he might lose the entire South um, in 1964, in the upcoming 1964 election. So he was very much concerned about the South, and he was hoping this trip to uh, Texas would would help in that regard as well. And, of course, Texas was a very important state to win. Uh, Back then it was still a Democratic state, and JFK had won it in 1960, uh, and it was up for grabs in 64. Right. And sadly we all... (laughs) Uh, know the uh, what changed that day uh, seemed like everything. Um, I, I, having had it as my really first clear memory, I, I just remember how this this country didn't slow down. It just stopped for four days, and uh, the the the, implica- the you know the reverberations are still being felt. I think. And how difficult a day was it for for Lim? Where was he? Len was in New York. He uh, had an advertising job at a firm called Lennon and Newell, and he was on his lunch hour. Um, you know, back then, of course, people didn't have cell phones and everything, so he um, didn't really learn what happened. And so he was on his way back to the office, and he saw people kind of running out of the uh, the office building. And uh, somebody said to him, "I'm sorry about your friend." And uh, then he knew, and he. Uh, he walked along, I believe it's on Fifth Avenue, to St. Patrick's uh, Cathedral uh, to pray. Wow. And, uh, Ray, just quickly, your memories of that day. Um, well, I, I was clear, there. I, I was a 10th grader. We had gone to a, a pep rally and were no more seated in the gymnasium than we were asked to return. And uh, the feeling of that day was that we would, as a result of this, uh, we would actually be in a war because they thought it was a coup. So uh, there, there was a double feel, fear at that day. But I felt like it was the day the music died, even though that reference is flawed. It, uh, that's how I felt in my hard hearts. Right. And, uh, David, if it's possible, uh, we have just a few minutes left, but we, we will possibly revisit these topics in our uh, discussion section. But uh, Len's life after, after Dallas, um, 
in in a minute or two, how can how can you how can you describe it? Um, in relationship with the rest of the family as well, too. <laughs> right. Well, order. you know, after Dallas, from uh, on a, based upon all the people I talked to who knew Lem, uh, his life really took a nosedive. Uh, because of that event, I mean, it was the end of his world in many ways. But, I mean, he still, uh, he went on, he kept his job for a while, and he loved uh, talking about JFK to the Kennedy children and to anybody else who would listen. And he became uh, even closer to Senator Robert Kennedy, whom he had known since he was a small boy as well. And he was involved in uh, Senator Kennedy's campaign for senator in New York State and then and then for the presidency in 68, and then, of course, it happened all over again. And the, the, double, the double hit that he took uh, led to a lot of drinking and probably his, uh, his uh, death at the age of 65 in, uh, in 1981. So um, he went on, but it was never the same for him. Wow. Well, this is a remarkable book. We're going to continue our discussion. I just have one, uh, for this section, one last question for you, David. Um, your book has been optioned as a film. Could we see this story on the screen, possibly? Well, uh, you know, I hope so. It's, it has been optioned, and, uh, you know, we're hopeful that a film uh, uh, can be made. Um, you know, we'll have to see. Uh, lots of books are, are optioned that don't make it onto the screen, but I think this is an important story to tell for, for reasons that, Sue and Fred and Ray have been, uh, and yourself have been discussing, and, and so I'm hopeful that it will happen. Right. Well, the book is uh, Jack and Lem, The Untold Story of an Extraordinary Friendship. The author is David Pitts, and we need to take a quick break right now, and uh, that is to say that we want to recommend The Trevor Project. If you're an LGBTQ youth feeling troubling thoughts, suicidal thoughts, please call The Trevor Project at one 488 7386. That's 1-866-488-7386. And we'll be back with our discussion on um, the effect of this profound uh, story, uh, John F. Kennedy and, and uh, role models for LGBTQ youth. And we'll be back in 60 seconds. Don't go away. Back to A Thousand Moms Talk. Uh, a Thousand Moms is a nonprofit 501c3. And if you like what you're hearing, please tell a friend to listen in to this show. And spread the news. Uh, we need support. We need support for our programs, our trainings for parents and social work staff, our Banners of Hope, and this radio program. Visit 
www.1000moms.org, as many of you did this week, and we're very grateful, and uh, click the donate bar. Your dollars will help incredibly vulnerable youth and help save lives. And now to our discussion on the qualities that President Kennedy had uh, that we admire, and and, um, are there any current role models who can provide these qualities for LGBTQ youth in care? And uh, quickly, I am going to introduce... um, uh, hang on just a second. Uh, Fred Elia. Hi, Fred. Uh, just a second. Um, there we go. Hi, Fred. No. <laughs> hi, Fred. There we go. Uh, welcome. Great. Thanks. Okay. And hi, and hi to Sue Turner. Fred is, Fred is uh, the president and founder of A Thousand Moms. And Sue Turner is a Thousand Moms board member and social work professional specializing with youth and care. And they join Dr. Ray and author David Pitts and me, Dave Bela. Well, hi, Sue. I just uh, uh, stuck you in there. And we're going to start our discussion here. And um, I just want to take the occasion to just read a quick passage from David's book that really, for me, kind of sums up um, what, the Kennedy years were about and, and what they could have been. And uh, I want to start with this. This is um, uh, quoting Adlai Stevenson. Um, the feeling of irreplaceable loss was explained in many of the eulogies to President Kennedy, but perhaps none was more eloquent than that given by his old rival, Adlai Stevenson, Stevenson, U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations in the Kennedy administration. President Kennedy, he said, was so contemporary a man, so involved in our world, so immersed in our times, so responsive to its challenges, that he seemed the very symbol of the vitality and exuberance that is the essence of life itself. Now he is gone. Today we mourn him. Tomorrow and tomorrow we shall miss him. And so we shall never know how different the world might have been had fate permitted his blazing talent to live and labor on man's unfinished agenda for peace and progress for all. So, um, uh, having said my piece, I want to uh, turn to Fred. Um, what do you admire in this story and in uh, JFK um, that would serve as uh, role models for for LGBTQ youth? And and part two is uh, where can we find this today? These qualities. All right. Okay. Well, uh, first. I guess you would have to say, given the nature of the relationship, the friendship between President Kennedy and Lem Billings, that it uh, you know it surpasses almost anything that anyone would have ever thought of. So that kind of relationship certainly would be helpful for people to know about. Would have been helpful then, of course. I know it would have been difficult at that time. Yet still, it would have been incredibly helpful. And to know about it now, yes, even so, because it sheds a whole new light on JFK completely, absolutely. Well, didn't we meet a, a woman this week? Twenty, I think she was in her twenties, and she said she's fascinated with Kennedy. Her father is teaching her about him. She's a social worker. She said, "I had no idea. I just had no idea who this man was, and and I can't wait." Listen to your show, right? right. And, um, think of all of the right. Think of all of the folks who uh, who didn't experience anything. I mean, we were little, literally little, but we did experience it. And Sue and Ray were a little older and experienced more. Um, 
he was already uh, a role model for young people, teenagers and up. Um, but even as I said, for me, as a little kid, you know, I pointed at the screen and said, that's what I want to do. I don't want to be a doctor or a policeman or a fireman. I want to give speeches like that to the UN or wherever I saw him giving speeches. So um, so it, it is helpful to know that there was this extraordinary friendship between these two people and that JFK really, you know, celebrated this this friendship without it being public. You know, which I think right. Yeah, and Sue, I want I want to ask you your thoughts on uh, JFK and and his best friend, and what about the current times for LGBTQ youth? Um, have we are we making any progress? Um, it seems like two step one step forward, two steps backwards. Well, it, one of the very basic things I learned from President Kennedy was is that. Um, he had a very strong intellect, he had a very strong heart and concern for the world, and he was such an inspiration um, to young people as, as well as to people all around the world. I mean, everywhere he went, it was just his magnetism because he truly was concerned about people. And for me, that's kind of been the, the driving force in my life. And um, you know, I, I I don't want to be pessimistic, so I always try to find some kind of role models out there that are positive. And and I guess for for young LGBTQ youth at this point in their lives, um, one of the one of the big ones that I can think of is um, Ellen DeGeneres, and not because she's famous and not because she has money, but because when she believes in something, she puts herself out there. Um, she was big on helping with uh, the national anti-bullying campaigns. Uh, and she really, I think, um, is helping to inspire and discover young people through um, her new record label and things like that. So I think that that is a real positive role model for some of our young people, even though she's not as as young as um, as many of them are. Right. right. And, and, and uh, Ray, oh, go ahead, Pat, go ahead. Well, I'm, I was just going to say that it, it would be really great if people like President Obama or others that, that are way up there, you know, Ellen is great, you know, she's good for where she is and, and what she's done, and she does continues to do that. Um, I'd like to see people with even more influence uh, like uh, Oprah Winfrey, for example, you know, um, the next level up in terms of people who could inspire. And yet, like in President Obama, for example, I don't see the bravery that it would take to do that because everything that's happening, though some good things this week, even yesterday, are happening in the administration, it's not like they step out front. It's it's lagged, you know, it's lagged people and the LGBT community are pushing all the time about uh, promises made and uh, commitments that you know were intimated during the campaign. Well, and I have to say that I didn't know that Hillary Clinton was out front with making sure that um, that um, uh, gay and lesbian issues were in the forefront at the State Department, and that um, even though Bill did the don't ask, don't tell thing, um, she's out there saying, you know, we're not going to go backwards, we're going to go forwards, 
And I didn't mm-hmm. know that from main media. I, I saw that at a, at a, on a gay magazine. Mm-hmm. I see. And, uh, David, I want to uh, ask you, and you, you, you write about this in your book, uh, and, Ray, if you want to join in, uh, anybody really join in. But, David, I want to direct this to you. You, you, you talked uh, earlier, early in your book about the, uh, uh, the, the times. You know, we've gone, undergone a, a real sort of rightward uh, shift in this country, sort of culminating or beginning with Reagan. And um, uh, do you think we'll see the likes of a JFK again, or uh, in that position, in that office, or um, are we now in the age of uh, compromise and and, um, um, uh, just completely, is Camelot uh, uh, just history now? Well, you know, we might be. It is a very different time, and the media is very different now than it was in the uh, the early 1960s. So, and the American right wing is much stronger than it was then. So, you know, it's much more difficult for a president uh, today in that regard. Uh, you know, picking up on something Fred said about uh, you know the JFK speeches. I mean, I think you know if you look throughout American history, the greatest American presidents are. Uh, presidents who um, have moral courage and the ability to lead and not just follow public opinion. And secondly, I would say the greatest presidents have all had a great facility with language. I mean, if you think of Lincoln and, you know, Roosevelt, uh, both before Kennedy, uh, tremendously uh, eloquent uh, leaders uh, and morally courageous. And I think JFK uh, was in that uh, category. And, and, you know, I might just add, by the way, in terms of the JFK speeches as well um, and the 61 news conferences, the first live news conferences, by the way, that he gave, many of them were about non-political issues, you know, about the arts and poetry and the, the nature of life itself. And uh, there, there's some things on the website about the JFK speeches for those uh, of your listeners who are interested. They can find that at jackandlem.com. Right, that's uh, J-A-C-K-A-N-D-L-E-M, as he said, as for mother.com. And, um, Ray, uh, um, what, what, what is your take? Uh, you, you deal with uh, lots of LGBTQ youth, you, you did today. Um, uh, I think they should, as this woman, this social worker the other day, she was riveted uh, by this president she never knew. And I think this is a, a remarkable story of, of courage and leadership and uh, uh, just, you know, JFK didn't dump his friend when he, when he found out he was gay. He, he, he strengthened the friendship. And uh, those are the types of things we, we need to get across to our kids today. Would you agree? Well, the, the, they hunger for role models and friendships like this. Uh, I was amazed at how they were immersed in the, in the whole you know, part one of your show and our show as well. But I, I don't know. I, I'm not optimistic. The era right now is so skewed to the right. I guess I have to go along with uh, with David. I, I I think Hillary Clinton is one who would uh, cut, go, cut through all all the uh, bureaucratic red tape and show the moralistic courage. But um, I, it'll take a real twist of fate to bring that about. Yeah. I would like well, to see you know, some A-list type parents or parents come out and say, this is what we are going to do for our children. 
you know, like something like, for example, uh, something like, now, again, JFK did not do this. It wasn't open at the time with his friend Lem, but something like, you know, by the end of this decade, we will put a man on the moon. I'd like to see a couple of A-list parents come out and say, you know, by the end of this decade, we're going to, you know, assure that our our children can marry, can be guaranteed equality in various ways, whatever it is, you know, we'll we'll have a, a network of support across this country. However, what something though? You know, I, I might right. just, uh, just run in on that if I might. Uh, you know, the, the the big moral issue of the time during the early 1960s was court civil rights. And it's hard to believe uh, right now, uh, you know, but there was a poll in the summer of 1963 in which 50% of Americans thought JFK was moving, quote, too fast, too far on civil rights. And his poll ratings were going down in the summer of 1963. But he didn't back off from the issue. And he gave a speech to the nation in which he defined uh, civil rights as a moral issue. And... Uh, Somewhat belatedly, but he did it. He put the, his, the full force of his presidency behind the issue of civil rights. And whether uh, you know a Barack Obama or a future president will do that in terms of gay rights, uh, you know, we have yet to see. Yeah. To define well, it as I'm a moral gonna, issue, that this. is, not just the political issue. Right. Well, I want to throw this out to anybody. Um, you, you know, we're all sort of. Uh, <laughs> I won't age us all, but we're, we're, we've all. Uh, we're fortunate to to have uh, seen this man when he was alive. Or, um, you know, I have the famous story. Where it's my first memory of seeing him in my mother's in my stroller um, in the nineteen sixty campaign when he came to Yonkers. And Ray, you remember that story? My mother oh, was yeah. just captivated with with Kennedy. Um, what uh, uh, I think, uh, David, you bring this out in your book. He you know, it was a very short presidency, um, and and he was uh, uh, the youngest elected and the youngest to die in office, I believe. And um, yet, he has an amazing impact. I mean, every day you can you can flip around the the cable stations, and and there's something about Kennedy. And um, do you, in terms of in terms of historiography, um, do you see? I don't see any signs of his appeal diminishing. David, do you agree? Uh, are you talking to me? Um, no, I don't. Uh, you know, if you look at the polls, for example, he's consistently among the uh, the top three uh, presidents in terms of Americans' uh, uh, popularity, e even though his presidency was 50 years ago and, as you say, one of the shortest in American uh, American history. So... I think you know it's it's not just the video images. I think uh, I think Ray was talking about this early on. I think the you know his mystique, uh, the legend of those 1,000 days that's been passed on through the generations, from, from fathers uh, to children, and um, and so it's still with us. And if you look yeah, at some of the things that he was involved in, the Peace Corps, Vista, which is now pretty much AmeriCorps, they all have lasting impact i think and and a lot of the the values that um and his sense of humor that he put forward in in the press conferences and things are just so endearing that if we can keep young people connected to politics um and and let them see 
that they can make a difference. I have a lot of hope for the future if we if we can do that, if we can help to inspire them. Yeah, and and I one of the qualities I admire in him is the um, the way he was able to overcome his his physical uh, ailments. And uh, uh, David, I, I think I came across a quote one day. I think it was Robert Kennedy or one of his family said, uh, "Woe to the uh, to the uh, mosquito that bites uh, Jack Kennedy." Um, Yeah, you know, isn't that interesting? Yeah, Uh, I mean, I think, you know, it's fascinating to me that uh, another great president of the 20th century, FDR, you know, had polio, uh, you know, uh, from from a relatively early age and and, uh, was uh, in a wheelchair throughout his presidency, something a lot of people didn't know at the time. Um, But... And JFK was laboring under, under many physical deficits as well. And, you know, perhaps that kind of suffering <clears throat> that both of those uh, presidents endured uh, helps explain why they... 